Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Brew Roots. I'm Emily. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that brings you the stories behind your favorite beer. This episode is brought to you by the Stowe Brewers Festival, which takes place next Friday and Saturday, August 3rd and 4th in beautiful Stowe, Vermont. So over 40 different breweries, distilleries, and wineries will be there over the three sessions. So there's one on Friday and two on Saturday with over 120 varieties on tap. Not to mention over 40 food trucks, live music, and even a wine and cheese pairing. So grab your tickets online, stowbrewersfestival.com, and Brew Roots listeners can use the code BREW4 to get $4 off your tickets. We hope to see you guys there. We'll be there on Saturday night from 5 to 9. Stop by and say hi. Now on to the episode. Right now we're drinking water. Literally we're drinking water because it's so hot here and we're out of beer. <laughs> all right, let's not say that. <laughs> all right, Matt. So who's the guest? All right, we got to talk to the Jack from Jack's Abbey, and we got to talk to Matt from Springdale. Yeah. But before we get into that interview, we want to do our beer fact of the week. So basically, uh, the ancient Vikings believed in heaven, and their heaven was called Valhalla. 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 And in Valhalla, they believed that there was this giant goat. Not Tom Brady. Not Tom Brady, like, okay, yeah, like that. And if you milked this goat, it provided you an unlimited supply of beer. Kind of dope. Interesting. I know. Would you call it milking? Like, well, maybe you'd be beering it. Beering it, like, <laughs> that was my the worst goat. Oh, you're so bad at it. You, I'm gonna help you practice your goat bleeding. All right. Ready? It's. <laughs> No. Ooh, we're not going to do that anymore. Our listeners will hate it. All right, so what happened today in beer history? All right, so on this day in 1649, July 27th, Governor Kreft in the colony of New Amsterdam, also known as... New York. ...was seeking a way to pay for the war with England. As you know, we were in war with England a couple Mm. times. And we didn't have much to... We didn't have, like, pennies to scrape together. Yeah, so Governor Kreft was like... Yo, guys, we have to pay for this somehow, so we're going to tax beer, because you drink a lot of beer. <laughs> but smart, you know, smart political move. Yeah. But what happened was a public outcry from, you know, the constituents. They felt that a beer tax was unconstitutional and downright wrong. The colonists looked at beer as a necessity. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, I don't really know if they won or not, but all I know is that on this day... Governor Kreft made a bunch of people pissed off. Mm. Bad on you, Governor Kreft. Bad on you, Governor Kreft. But you know what? I feel like I can kind of agree with the general public that maybe it was a necessity back then. Because this goes back to what we say say like every week in beer history. Water was shit. Water was shit. And beer was safe. We Er. literally mean there probably was shit shit in in the water. water, Definitely. All kinds of fun stuff. So. Yeah. Bad on you. Yeah, bad on you. But good (laughs) on you for... Because now we don't, we're not English. Yeah. Yeah. Right? America. Oh, and uh, yo, so we're doing a giveaway. Check out our Instagram. We're giving away these silly ass like little charms that you put on your drink and they're called drinking buddies. They're like these little plastic figurines of like naked people and they're hilarious. So uh, just make sure that you check our Instagram for instructions on how to enter that giveaway. And Matt, um, you're laughing at me saying naked people did not go unnoticed um on to the episode cheers <laughs> all right everyone uh we are here well i am here on a uh 
warm Tuesday afternoon. This is unusual for us at Brewers. We've been through the snow, rain. We had hail a couple of weeks ago, so uh, we made it to lovely Framingham, Massachusetts, home of Springdale and Jack's Abbey. How are you guys? Fantastic. Yeah, doing great. And the voices you guys hear is is Jack and M- Matt from uh, Spring. Well, Matt's from Springdale. You're the Barrel Room. Yeah, uh, Barrel Master. Barrel Master. And Jack is one of the co-owners, along with his two brothers, of Jack's Abbey in Springdale. So thank you for taking some time. I know it's 5 p.m., and you probably want to get home and crack a beer yourself, so I appreciate it. We're happy to be here. Awesome. So um, tell us a little bit about yourselves. I introduced your roles, but I'm sure you guys do a lot more than just what your roles are listed on the website and your first memory of beer. I don't know if I want to say my first memory of beer. Um, so first memory beer, geez, um, legally, um, well, I like to, one of the, one of the things that really got me into beer was actually traveling in Munich and going to the beer halls. And I was actually traveling with my mother at the time and, uh, ordering a beer and not really understanding the size of which they they served in in Munich and getting a liter and my mom's eyes almost popping out of her head in disbelief um and I thought that was pretty awesome um I think for me I sort of knew that I liked sort of craft beer when I was in college but I didn't really know much more than like asking someone to pick me up like a mix pack so I started uh home brewing in my uh in my apartment in college and uh, never stopped. All right, so um, Jack, did you have a similar journey? Did you start home brewing or how did you fall into you know, starting Jack Abbey with your, your brother? I have to give you a lot of credit. Like, I don't think I could start a business with one brother, let alone two, so I, I don't know if you get that a lot. But <laughs> yeah, it's certainly interesting working with your two siblings, but um, we make it work. Some, t- some days are better than others, but uh, in general, um, you know, you can usually hear us from across the brewery if things aren't going well, but that's fewer, fewer and fewer <laughs> at this point, fewer days. Um, but yeah, I brewed commercially for six years. I brewed in Boston and I guess seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, I started talking with my brothers about, uh, starting our own brewery. Uh, and I was living not far from here. So Framingham was kind of an, uh, an ideal location for us to start a brewery. Very cool. Matt, what about yourself? You said you started craft, you know, brewing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I I really liked the, um, I, li- I liked the just going through the process of home brewing, but I also really liked the science behind it all, and I sort of got more into the, you know, uh, food fermentation science and that kind of thing. And... Um, yeah, after I graduated college, I worked at a brew pub out in Western Mass, and then I worked for a production facility, and um, my girlfriend at the time and now wife, we decided we wanted to move back to Boston, so I uh, got a job here and was the second employee here. And uh, Employee number two. <laughs> yeah, there's a few more now, but so I've been with the company. My first week was the one-year anniversary, and used to used to do everything here, you know, would work in the tap room, brew, work on the bottling line, and uh, gotten a little bit more specialized over time, and now 
all of my focus is on the uh, the barrel program here for for both sides. So western part of the state, you went to Hampshire College, from what I gathered. Yes, I did some research about you. <laughs> yeah, because I thought it was just going to be uh, yourself, and then I got this wild card, which is we're super excited about. Um, how did Hampshire College set you up to become a brewer? Did you guys did you have a brewer's course there, or did you? have a science degree um yeah so i mean it is a bachelor of arts but it's a very uh, open-ended school so you really get to um you know, as you get later and later into your education there you really can focus on whatever you want so you know the, there was a course called uh, kitchen ecology that blew it all open for me that was just like you know it put it put everything together for me and it was basically like the science behind making you know sauerkraut and yogurt and beer and all that so that was like what kind of really got me going and then um there there was a uh a uh zymergy course like a microbiology a brewing course that i took actually af as a, like an elective after i graduated it was not till after i graduated that i really decided this was what i wanted to do and then i eventually uh did go back to brew school very cool. All right, so this question I'm pulling up on my Instagram came from uh, Brew Babes Mass. She <laughs> cool name, I guess, right? Uh, she wants to know how did you guys come up with the name Springdale, and why didn't you continue just brewing under Jack's Abbey? Uh, so Springdale, the name Springdale, is well, it originated from a business my grandfather started, and it's an area of Stanford, Connecticut. And back in the 50s, he bought an ice company called Springdale Ice. And um, he ran a, an ice company until my parents took it, or my father and uncle took it over. And then they sold that business about 15 years ago. Um, and the, the corporate name was Springdale. And we were trying to figure out a nice way to bring back some of that family history from the original um, ice, ice business. Um, then the, the reason why we rebranded was it was only a year before we opened Springdale that we completely rebranded as Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers. So we were Jack's Abbey Brewing when we opened. We thought it, it was smart because we were only brewing loggers to rebrand as Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers. And then when we got the idea to do what we were doing over here, it really didn't make sense anymore under that, that brand. So we decided we needed to create its own identity and really um, focus on what we wanted to accomplish here. Obviously, you can see all the wood barrels here, but we also, you're drinking a wit beer, which wouldn't really apply to Jack's Abbey uh, craft lagers. Let's talk about this wit beer that I'm drinking right now. Uh, there's an oyster on it. Now, is this uh, a salt brine in there, or is what, why is there an oyster? I'm just curious. Pearly wit, pearly white. Okay. That's. <laughs> I've, I've, I have seen so many oyster like <laughs> related beers. So. Yeah, it does not have actual oysters. Perfect. Uh, yeah, we d we also just thought it was a good pairing between wit beer and oysters, so it yeah. seemed to work. It's delicious. Uh, Matt, let's talk about this beer. So I'm drinking pearly wit right now. Yeah, um, I think this was something that we all kind of sat down and you know did a bunch of research on sort of the the style and the history of the style and then we sort of sat down and tried you know every kind of commercial uh version that we could find and just decided on sort of the, all the elements that we really liked and um 
you know, for what we do over here with, with some of the more acid forward beers, we decided, you know, to kind of play into a little bit more of like a slightly more acidic bite to the beer. Um, not that I would call it sour by any means, but it certainly got a little bit more acidity than your typical wit beer. And, um, yeah, well, we actually get a lot of questions about that because we, we want people to know that it has some acidity, but if you're just drinking this beer, you may not think this is a sour beer. No, not at all. This um, is awesome. But if you put it next to other whip beers, you, you'll be amazed at how much more sour it is than your, your average whip beer. We actually, we, we joke about it, but we submitted this to a beer competition and we got, we got a, a, a return response that the beer had gone sour, the beer was bad. And, you know, we won't submit this beer to any other competitions for whip beer at this point. But that it was actually reassuring to us that the beer was more sour than your typical whip beer, really trying to play on that rustic character and tie into all the, the wood age beer that we're doing here. You guys do a lot of sours, though. I had uh, one of the peach sours that you made. Oh, uh, the uh, peach bod? Peach bod, yes. Um, what's it been like learning how to barrel age? I know a lot of... Uh, breweries kind of stay away from the barrel aging and, and the souring, and now some are trying to dip their toes in. But you guys are kicking ass doing it. Uh, what made you take the plunge into, like, screw it, we're going to do a barrel system here? I mean, there there was always a small barrel program here, and we used to have, like, a little room in the middle of our old brewery that I hit with a forklift and destroyed. But we did have a small barrel program <laughs> at Wait, one point. Wait, ta- let's talk about <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Nah, that, no, no, that's no. all you need to know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had maybe six or eight at that point, and then um, started slowly. We're uh, building the program, and we used to have this, like, kind of bowling alley type space that it was like if you wanted a barrel in the back, you were taking pretty much the entire room apart in order to get to it. Um, so I think by the time we moved out of our old space, we had about 100 or so barrels that you know, I would maybe tend to them once or twice a month and play with them. But, you know, the, the program was small. We didn't really have the space to to have dedicated equipment uh, or anything like that. So we really didn't do a whole lot with it over there. And uh, we started really ramping up the program when we moved over here. And I think that the just the nature of Sours is that you know, you are working with cultures that are not the same as brewers yeast. There's a lot more variability, and so I think part of the reason why we we have so many barrels now is just because you don't really know how long it's going to take for that beer to get where you want it to be, and we have the options at this point. So back to that, it kind of just grew naturally, and, and eventually we we found ourselves with 200 barrels of of sours. And it became this question of what what are we doing? Um, is this just an unorganized project that we're just gonna keep put on the back burner, or do we really want to focus on this? So when this space became available, we decided that we were just gonna go all in. And as far as we know, we're, this is probably the largest amount of wood, at least in the Northeast, um, for for aging sours. There's well over a thousand wine slash bourbon barrels. There's uh, at least 10 large format um, wooden barrels. So, I mean, we have close to 3,000 barrels of brewer's barrels of beer just sitting in wood right now. Holy cow. (laughs) That's incredible. So, 
Jack, this question kind of volleys back to you. I know we're, s we're, we're swapping between Springdale and Jack's Abbey a lot, but tell us about 2011. You decided you're going to open Jack's Abbey. Obviously, you just didn't say, I'm going to, I woke up one day and I'm going to open this, this brewery. And you guys have a pretty national known. Like, if, when I get some Jack's Abbey beer, I know that people are always asking to get it traded to them. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool uh, brand you have there. Can you talk about the process in opening up Jack's Abbey with your siblings? Yeah, I mean, well, we certainly didn't have any idea what we were doing. Um, we, <laughs> we had an idea. We had a few bucks, and uh, we gave it a go. I mean, thinking back seven years, I probably we probably wouldn't do anything that we did the same. Um, although, obviously, we've have had had have had plenty of success here um but you know starting an all lager brewery in 2011 there's i think 3000 breweries we thought the market was hitting saturation you didn't even start <laughs> yeah and we're like the only way we're ever going to get any attention is if we are completely different from everybody else so you know what we'll brew all lagers we'll see what we can do and we had a plan for 10 years to brew 3000 barrels of beer um, what are you at now? For, well, 2017, we did 45,000. <laughs> We're planning on mid-50s for this year. Um, but we, we definitely didn't understand the economies of scale for trying to brew lager beer. People didn't really understand what we were doing. No one wanted a, you know, lager beer's cheap, yellow, fizzy beer. And we're trying to educate people that, well, in fact, it takes us longer to make the beer and it's more expensive to make the beer. But no one, you know, it took a long time to, to convey that idea. So it's been really interesting to to see just in the last six years how much the craft world has changed in perception for, for loggers. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're I think we're ahead of the curve on, on that front. But uh, it's it's been a really unique challenge and it's been fun to build this whole new facility to really accommodate the, the, the volume and scale that we need to, to be a lager brewery. Matt, as employee number two, can you tell us what it was like on uh, day one, or weeks leading up to day one? Day one of what? Of uh, Jack's Abbey being open. Um, yeah, so so my first week was like the one-year anniversary. Okay, okay. But, um, but like what was that one-year point It was, like? um, I mean, it was totally different. I mean, it was... We were brewing a couple times a week. I think they had done maybe 500 barrels that first year. Is that right? Something uh, like that. Yeah, about 500. And, um, I mean, so much has changed. And I think, personally, every time I look back, like, a year or two ago where I was, you know, what we were doing and where I was, I always think that, like, I, man, I didn't know anything, like, two years ago and now and i'm sure that will be the case in two years from now and it's um you know it, it's working here it's like you know i've had so many different roles and um you know it's it's been really really fun to get to grow with a company like this that you know you don't want to get comfortable for very long because it's going to change in a few months in an industry where brewers are constantly traded and jumping around to different breweries uh what keeps you here I think that um, it just it has been a great place to work. It's fun. It's interesting. It's always changing. And, um, you know, there, 
there's a lot of uh, great people who work here as well. So I think it makes, you know, as long as you're, you know, enjoying what you do and generally like the people you work with, sure, there are going to be bad days, but uh, I would say those are the exception. Obviously, you are building a good culture here. Is that important? Was that important for you and your siblings to have a good culture? I mean, we never thought we'd have any employees, so it wasn't the first thing <laughs> on our mind. Foundation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we want good foundation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly been important. I, I'm, I'm always excited to see how many familiar faces are still here from five years ago. Um, you know, we're obviously a young, young company, but um, certainly culture is an important part, particularly in the beer industry. And, uh, you know, quality of life is uh, an important factor when you're brewing beer. All right. So what did you learn the second time around opening Springdale? What did you do differently? So did you do everything completely different? Yeah, it was completely different. We're like, we've learned everything we need to learn. We're going to do everything right. And now two years later, we're like, yeah, well, we we at least did it better. But uh, yeah. it's a totally different business so we we one of the things that you know we always joke that about how much capital expenses we have to put into the brewery to brew lager is that if you just look at our brewery we brew we have 50,000 barrels capacity for example if we decided we're going to brew just IPA we have 100,000 barrels capacity we want to spend a dollar more on, on infrastructure so instead of going and doing like something that would be a better business plan we go and do sours and we're waiting in 18 months two years before we're putting beer out um so it, it's been a totally different business plan having to figure out how you can run a business where you're not really selling any beer um at least short term and that's kind of part of the reason we have wit beer that you're drinking and some of the ips that we're doing as well because we needed something to sell um so it's uh you know, every time you think you have an, a handle on this craft beer industry, uh, it changes. <laughs> yeah, it changes quick. All right, so Springdale, Jack's Abbey, do you guys share a brewing system or does do you guys have a completely different brewing system for Springdale? The brew house is the same. So um, even though we're in a s- separate building here, the this side of the of the, the production side of Springdale is actually closer to the brew house than the Jack's Abbey cellar is. So um, we can, once we brew a beer, we can either pump it over here, we'll pump it over to the to the Jack's Abbey side. But we, we don't do a lot of primary fermentation over here. We're typically um, just barrel aging on this side, although we can, we can do um, regular clean fermentation. Now, two breweries on this scale, where are you guys getting your ingredients from? Um, is it a mixed bag, anything local? Um, I mean, for the sours, they're, you know, we do get some local stuff, but it's it's not a ton. I think it's probably, like, it really just depends on the year. I mean, two years ago, there was no peaches anywhere. So this year, last this past year, you know, it was a really nice year. So we got lots of peaches, uh, grapes, and uh, what was it? I think we did nectarines, and that was... Um, awesome and there's a little farm that's just in natick that's great called uh, lookout and they're actually starting up a brewery as well i believe but uh you know we we source locally if if we can and 
there's another um, local uh, it's a maltster out in Western Mass and uh, Valley Malt, and they do a great job. And so she's uh, Andrea out there is putting out some really interesting stuff. So we just brewed a beer that we're excited for that we're not going to release for a few months, but it's going to be kind of a uh, like a barley wine or grain wine. And so this first year we are focusing on oats. Is that one of the negative part of uh, barrel aging is, you know, you think you make this like kick-ass beer, right? And then you wait four or five, ten months, whatever it is. And you're like, I just can't wait to try this. You almost forget about it and then it's time. Uh, have you had ones that have just gone like completely south or ones that have... Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we've had, we've dumped a good amount of beer and I kind of went through last summer and sort of just picked out all of those barrels that I was hoping would turn around and just weren't going anywhere and just was trying to free up as much as I could and uh you know or you you have something you're really excited for and you put some fruit in it and it blows the bung and you don't realize it until too late and you know you walk over a swarm of fruit flies and that's (laughs) it's always a bummer it is really interesting because you you really don't know how the beer is going to turn out so you may have barrels that are tasting fantastic six months later and you're real excited about them but a year later they're they're no longer tasting nice and vice versa you may have some barrels that taste awful and we've certainly had a plenty of barrels where we're like we're not sure if this is going to turn around but then three months later it's tasting great um and uh you're able to some make some fantastic beers but you know it, it, it certainly in the beginning it's really tough thinking 18 months out but now at this stage, we have so much beer in progress. We're not really worrying about anything that's less than a year. We're looking at beers that are well ahead and we're, we're able to plan a little bit. We know where the barrels are at. We know when to add the fruit. So we're, we're really looking three, four months out. We don't have to worry about thinking a year and a half out because we have all the base beer that's ready and we've got the cultures that we want. And it makes it a little bit easier to plan and uh, be a little bit more consistent with the products we're brewing. Yeah, I think there's, um, right now, like, we just have so much choice when it comes to making a blend that, like, I can kind of get it three quarters of the way there, taste it, and then say, okay, well, do we need, what do we need? Do we need more acidity here or, like, amp up the fruit character or whatever it is? And, you know, you can generally find something that'll, that'll fill that void. Yeah, and if you really if you really want to brew beer, put it in a barrel, and six months later, or even 18 months later, you want that to be your beer, you're not never going to be happy. <laughs> no. It's never going to work out. You always got to like you you just got to be humble because the beer is not going to turn out sometimes the way you expect it to. You could do the same batch of beer, same pitch of micro uh, flora, same types of barrels, and every single barrel tastes a little different. Um, so you just have to be willing to look at each barrel individually look at the bigger picture and not be so specific on the individual batch some of the challenges i've heard of barrel aging is consistency how do you keep consistent with uh you know having a same beer maybe year after year i think um this is why matt's here this is (laughs) this is the whole purpose of why matt's here because he's really good at taste sorry to cut you up there but he's just really good at tasting you get consistency by trying the beer knowing what it tastes like knowing what you're trying to achieve so every single barrel here 
you taste and you, you you see how it's going. Obviously, you're trying to make sure the the brew is consistent. You're pitching consistent. You're doing everything in your process consistent. But when it comes down to it, it's the palate of of the guys here at Springdale that that make the beer consistent in the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think that um, with with sour beer, you kind of have to be able to, you know, I'm tasting it warm and flat. You have to know. Okay, if you if you chill that down, what flavors might drop out? And when it's cold, you know, when it's cold and carbonated, it's going to be a little bit different. So you kind of have to be a little bit um, predictive in how you're tasting and sort of knowing what what will and won't drop off. And then, um, you know, one thing that is great is the uh, the larger format stuff is really consistent. And uh, so we have I have one or two tanks that I'm you know are kind of my go-to tank and i know that like this one tank it's it's not particularly acidic uh coming out of the tank but if you you know then add some fruit to that it's going to get right to the the level that that i'm happy with so um we're kind of able to to do a little bit of of that where you sort of are doing a hybrid and sort of having it in a fooder for for a little while and then putting it in barrels later so now that i know that you have probably the most amazing palate known to man that you can see like what something will taste like before it's cold before it's carbonated um where do you draw your inspirations is it food driven or is it something you just wake up in the middle of the night and you're like i want to make that um yeah i i don't know i mean i think it, it's you kind of have to to listen to what the beer is doing and like i think that um sort of alluding to like what Jack was saying earlier about how like something might not be good for a while. Like we had, uh, basically the way that Ruby blues day came about was like, we had some blueberry barrels and blueberries can be a little bit tough to work with just because when you ferment out all the sugar, first of all, it's not a particularly strong flavor. Uh, and second of all, I've experienced that it just, um, it just gets super funky. It just gets, you know, way, way over the top funky. And so we had some, blueberry barrels that just were you know they were undrinkable when we first did them and uh after six months they had mellowed a lot to some to a point where you know they were really funky and they tasted good but it wasn't until we you know tapped into some of the rhubarb barrels that we had next to them that it was like well these are really acidic and this one's really funky and so these two flavors are going to work together and you know sometimes you i think uh like the poivre raz was another one that it was like you it just i wanted to wake it up a little bit and the pepper you know the, the pink peppercorns were kind of the way that we we landed on that one i tried a few things i tried some basil and tried a couple of little trials and uh the pink peppercorns were really what did it for me so when you started home brewing what year did you guys start home brewing <laughs> probably 2006 maybe okay um Maybe 2003, okay. something like that. It, I wouldn't call it homebrewing. It was more dorm bathroom brewing, <laughs> and the beer wasn't drinkable. Did but, uh, you know. Did you ever think you would be brewing with basil, peppercorn, or be sitting here today? What was what was the original plan for for your careers? I, I, I had no plan, but I do remember when I was uh, first homebrewing that I was, like, really anti, like, hot pellets I was like, only, you know, only all cone. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to those I was guys. like, fuck all those other breweries. Yep. Like, what are they, what are those guys doing? And 
now I'm down for anything, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what was the original plan? Yeah, um, I I got into beer more for, I, I enjoyed the idea of the active work. I, I didn't want to sit, sit in the office, do work. Um, so when I got my first brewing job, I really didn't know much at all about beer. I had done one extract homebrew in my in the dorm bathroom that was unsuccessful but um um i really liked the idea of being hands-on and i i remember going for my first interview actually herb who is our uh, plant manager hired me for my first job and um he asked me what beer i wanted and i said the uh the watermelon beer sounds great and he kind of gave me an odd look like you want what (laughs) Um, it took me three months of uh, working in a brewery before I would even drink an IPA. Um, I wasn't really interested, and, and it was just sort of an evolution of learning about beer through the brewing process, and um, it was kind of really interesting by year one. Probably the only thing I wanted to drink was double IPA, mm-hmm. and, um, and then from there just being able to explore beer more through the eyes of the brewer as opposed to a consumer. All right, so here, here are the quick hitters. We got these quick questions. Uh, What's your guilty pleasure beer? Well, it's not guilty, uh, but uh, you know, I always usually have a some PBR in the fridge. You it's aren't the first <laughs> to say that. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> I yeah, anything anything light that's clean, crisp, refreshing, uh, you probably find in my fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, if I'm in that kind of mood, I usually go for like high life. Okay. The champagne of beers. Um, what is the perfect beer food? What is the perfect food to eat with beer? Pizza. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, considering we have the, the huge wood-fired oven next next door, I guess pizza is a, a good answer there. But, uh, I, you know, one of those things I think people overthink a little bit. Um, I, obviously, it makes a lot of sense to try to promote that that eating and drinking is what we we do every day but uh you know w- when we look at a beer like house lager it's and you you're asked to give like a food pairing it's like could we just be food does it have to be more <laughs> specific than that no it's hard we tried i did a podcast before we tried to say oh i'm having an imperial stone what does that go with and i was like i don't know i just want chicken wings or something <laughs> like that um yeah hopefully whatever you're drinking is going to go with whatever you want to eat exactly um if you weren't working at Jack's Abbey, what would you be doing? I'd be uh, hauling ice somewhere, but fortunately my, my father and uncle sold that business. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I probably would be in some sort of other food you know, thing, if it would be cheese making or um, I worked at a kombucha place for a little while. Oh, and so, uh, Where can you get scoby? We'll talk off air. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you most proud of? It doesn't have to be Jack's Abbey. It can be anything. Well, I think, obviously, I uh, I am proud of everything that we put out here. I think that uh, that we one of the things that, that's great about this place is that, like, it, you know, if it's not up to standards, it, it's going down the drain. And uh, so I, I think that pretty much anything that goes out there, you know, I'm going to stand behind it. And... Uh, you know, as far as uh, non-work related stuff, I have a pretty cute little toddler at home. Congratulations. 
Jack, what, what are you most proud of? I mean, one of the most interesting things, going back to one of the points you had before, is we didn't really, like, plan on having employees, and you brought up culture, but um, we now have, like, 150 employees, and I'm pretty proud of the team that we built here, um, have a lot of amazing people, um, and it's really been, it used to be I brewed every day, and now it's working with people every day, and that's been a, a cool transition. All right, so we've talked about the past. We've talked about the present. One last question. What's next for Jack's Abbey and Springdale? <laughs> well, probably, can, probably we'll find out in a few months. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, for me, I'm excited to just kind of keep pushing it with the sours, keep trying new things, keep trying new techniques, um, you know, and – there's just there's so many other things that we can do that we're not doing right now so i think there's there's definitely a lot of uh a lot of good options out there for for things that we might be able to try I, the only reason i laugh is every time we we come up with a business we try to write a new business plan every year um reset refocus come up with a, a game plan on how we're going to execute and when we look back a year later it's it's nowhere close to what we thought um the brewery's grown so much faster. Um, it, we never would have anticipated having 130,000 square feet um, even two years ago. Um, or maybe it was two years ago we made that decision. But two months before we made the decision to take over the 60,000 square feet, we probably would have said never. Um, so just how fast everything's changing, um, it really makes it uh, it makes it exciting. So we get to do what we want, uh, come up with a new game plan on the fly, and try to execute. All right. So social media plugs, where can we find you guys on social media, Springdale and Jack's Abbey? Yeah, so you can follow um, at Springdale Beer, at Jack's Abbey, Craft Loggers on Instagram, at Jack's Abbey on Twitter, and you can follow me at Firkin Vorloff, at Firkin Vorloff. That's the first time we've had an owner give away their <laughs> handle so i love it i love it and uh you don't have to give away yours matt if you don't want to but yeah just follow uh freaking voiloff <laughs> <laughs> sounds awesome uh we're in a beautiful tap room uh the jack's abbey one's beautiful as well and you guys have a beer garden as well right outside and everything yeah we got a little outdoor sp uh patio space um and uh, the, the whole beer hall next yeah. door. Yeah. So I'd encourage if you guys are in the Boston area or traveling to the Boston area, you guys are about 20 miles west of Boston. So check it out here because it's awesome. And yeah, the train comes right here. So you can go right into, you can take it to Back Bay or to South Station. Perfect. Anything else, guys? Yeah, thanks for having us. No, thank you for ha spending some time. I know if I was you, I would say, no, I don't want to do it at 5 o'clock. So I appreciate it taking the time out to do it. We're here anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, gentlemen. Thanks. Cheers. Pros. All right. That's a wrap on the interview with Jack's Abbey and Springdale. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much to Matt and Jack who took some time out of their day. Like I said at the beginning of that episode, it was like five o'clock and you know what? They stuck. They were there since like six or seven in the morning and they stuck around to meet with me and, and do this interview. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. And moreover, I hope you try their beer because their beer is awesome. Yeah, we love it. And guys, don't forget, we're going to be at the Stowe Brewers Festival 
August 3rd and 4th. You can get $4 off your tickets online. That's a $4 discount. So off of $39, you're going to pay $35. Bucks. Use the code BREW4, B-R-E-W-4. That's at stowbrewersfestival.com. Hope that we see you there. Please Abs- come and visit us. Absolutely. We can't Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Emily, where can our listeners find us on social media? So we are at Brew Roots on everything, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out our website, brewroots.com, where we post new episodes. We are now on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on everything. Check us out. Yes. Give us a rating. (laughs) All right. I can't wait till next week's episode. It's a top secret. We have been discussing this episode for weeks. So we're super excited, and it's top secret. So we can't share much more than that. Stay tuned, guys. All right. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.